0: bet you wish you, you were here hi do you know just kind of mixing it up there and just deadpan hi no oh, no big D, like no beatboxing no fucking wacky voice just get on with it do you know welcome back to the podcast and all that you're chilled out guys i'm gonna mix it up for this episode is it a politics podcast is it a comedy podcast Kind of, yeah, if you don't mind, excuse me, both kind of a vibe. This is certainly more of the comedic quality, right? Because I'm speaking to a fellow comedian a little, a little. Your man now is about five, six inches taller than me. I'm going to cut to the chase and tell you that his name is Josh Berry. If you don't know him, you're a klutz. If you don't know him, pull yourself up off the ground and type his name into the Google. He is an absolutely exceptionally humorous, talented young man. It disgusts me to learn that he's 25 years old. Like I could technically and emotionally be his father. In fact, I would love to be his father. I'd love to be his dad for three main reasons. One, I'm I'm a very strange person. Two, I love him. <laughs> and uh, three... He's going to be a big, he actually already is, but he's going to be an even bigger star than you can imagine. And he could provide for me in my old age. He, he could come and bring me buns, croissants and apples and Lucasaid in the old folks home because he is an exceptionally talented impressionist. He has a character from within the Tory party, an advisor to the top Tories by the name of Rafe Hubris. Really, really biting satire. No, it was interesting to talk to the creator of quite biting satire, and some of his views about the ultimate function of satire, or how useful satire can be to actually change things, was quite surprising, right? So I won't ruin it for you. Listen away to it now and you'll enjoy it. Um... Sorry, just to get back to him being 25, like, 25. Like, you know, the guy is flying, his understanding of his material and the world that he's lampooning is exceptional. And I don't know if anyone else is listening in here. When I was 25, my friends, I was up a tree. I was drinking cans, up trees, falling out of trees, tying my shoelaces together accidentally. No sense of what was going on. Like, I just find it fascinating when people who are so young have figured out what they want to do and how to do it. I find that fascinating. I'm stumbling into a version of that awareness. Uh, deep. Deep. In my late 30s. So that's it. I just want to throw that out there. If that's not too patronising to Josh. If you are listening. i just say fair play to you. You're you're one of the brightest 25 year olds I've ever known. Never met him like. I spoke to him once on the internet. But Ty, what has this got to do with Brexit? I told you one of his main characters is Ray Fubris. Who's an advisor to the Tories. Why can't you just listen to me and trust me? You were never there for me when I was growing up. He's also a star of English comedy as it seems to us, England is imploding. So we talk about that. We talk about comedy. We talk about Brexit. We also talk about history, which this now is fascinating because he basically reveals what specifically what he was taught in history in school and it is eye-opening and I, i think it goes a long way to helping you understand why your average english person that you talk to when you're abroad or wherever has kind of no understanding at all why any irishman ever might have even the semblance of a grievance with the British government do you know what I mean like it's it's really interesting to listen to it and it's it's good for the likes of me to kind of go how could you be cross with a guy who just wasn't taught like they're just not taught it so that was really interesting listen I'm gonna get out of the way now let you enjoy it come back to me afterwards and we'll have a chat You you know yourself though like it's like when somebody I'm sure you experience this as well when somebody sends you on a whatsapp video of like another comic you know you wouldn't send on another carpenter like this guy up the road who did a fantastic job yeah, it's, <laughs>
1: like, dave chappelle, there's this clip i saw on youtube where someone asked dave chappelle like how to get into comedy and he was like that's the thing about comedy you don't like seeing other people do it because it's he, he says it's like seeing someone else have sex with your girl is what he says because it's like i don't want to <laughs> see that i want to do it myself i'd do that better than so, yeah but but i think the interesting thing is that it's a broad church isn't it and uh, maybe that's why the comedy that i personally like the comedy that i really like so far away from what i do really like wow yeah i really love like silly stuff like tim robinson i love and i love jim carrey and i love james acaster and all of that like as someone who does like more political stuff although i mean i love Sasha baron cohen and, and everything i think he's amazing yeah. Yeah, I just love the the silly escapist stuff. Is that is that your experience or do you, or do you like obviously you know you did the political stuff. Do you like more politics?
0: I just I mean, it actually brings me to the first question, right? It's perfect per- perfect segue. So like we're both Chris Morris fans, right? And I know I, I've heard you reference this before. And I actually thought this interview was very powerful as well, where he was kind of making the point that like, is there really any point to comedy mm. unless it's trying to change something or say something? Mm. Like, what what would you say about that? Because I look at your stuff and I kind of think like, well, this guy's really, you're getting in there, like you're taking risks and it seems Morris inspired in a really great way. But do you think comedy needs to be Chris Morris?
1: That's such an interesting question. I think the interesting thing about Morris and probably the biggest source of inspiration that I've taken from him, and it's a virtue that I think we apply, that is applicable to any comic who's doing amazingly, is fearlessness, right? You you have to be really willing to set out your stall and just go for it. And and, and that's applicable to so many people like Bill Burr, but also like Michelle Wolfe. I mean, you know, Chris Morris pranking the tabloid press in the 90s. That's arguably the most powerful institution, right? Yeah. And that takes real guts to do that. So I think that's a really important thing because, you know, get added points for that sort of bravery. But that all said, I've got to be honest, I don't know how much it changes. I don't think comedy does change that much. I personally feel as though, how many people do you convince on a stage being funny? When actually the meaning of what you're actually saying is probably two or three steps from the words as they're written down, right? Or the words as they're said. Because so much comedy, and particularly with satire as well, relies on someone else filling in the blanks mentally. I think it's hard to sort of say that you're going to change the world or, or pull things down. I mean, personally, I I don't set out to do that. I just try to be entertaining. And I think because that's my job, right? Like to be funny, to make people laugh. I think we can get into trouble uh, artistically, when people sort of try too hard to, I think when they overstate their position as a sort of social commentator or someone who's, you know, like a revolutionary or whatever, because I, personally, I don't think that's what the comedian's job is, but, Yeah, I don't know. What do you think?
0: Well, this is it. Like, I might make two or three political sketches in a row, and then I'd be thinking, like, I'm bored of this shit now. Like, I'm bored of, like, pretending I'm Nigeria, and I'm also Britain at the door, like, and I want to make something about, like, a guy who feels like he can't get a girlfriend because his dancing is so good, and actually his dancing is so bad. Like, just something completely silly. But I keep going back to it. I mean, once I find, maybe this is a cop-out, once the comedy comes first, because I thought it was interesting that Chris Morris was saying, unless there is a purpose to it, like, it's trying to change something, or it's being provocative, that there's kind of no point to comedy at all. And that, does, I'm not sure if that's. I'm not sure if that's my view.
1: I mean, I don't agree with him on that at all. I think as much as I love him and think he's amazing, I think a lot of people who do that type of comedy can ironically get maybe a little bit pompous about what it what it all is and what it's. Yeah. Frankie Boyle has a quote about that. He talks about satire just being people within an establishment, criticizing certain things that are said in a very establishment voice. I think that's true, but I also don't think that it can be anything more than that. Well, I mean, it, it can be people who aren't within an establishment, obviously criticizing it, But Malcolm. Gladwell has a podcast about this. He did this whole thing called the satire paradox. Have you heard that episode? Yeah. Yeah. And and my, my big gripe with that was that he's trying to criticize Tina Fey because she did that impression of Sarah Palin and then they had Sarah Palin on the show. And he was like, well, that undermines her. And I don't think that does undermine her. I think he's just assigned a load of moral characteristics to someone who's been very entertaining because it's it's like a religious experience, right? When someone's funny, we want to ascribe all these other virtues to them. When actually all they're showing you is that they're funny and intelligent, that's it, right? And I think the real tendency to sort of push beyond what satire is, which or comedy, I mean, I, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm a satirist, I'm a comedian. I think you've got to stick within the parameters rather than try and make it something that's that yeah more than it
0: is i think i suppose it's other people and i'll move on to the actual question zone but just on that it's just interesting that other people will ascribe what you're doing for you because if you're basically inside the kind of tory psyche or the tory machine and you're lampooning it from within it's just assumed that you're a dedicated satirist and this has always been your lifetime ambition to almost take it down i think you know
1: but like you say like you know doing doing videos on dancing styles like Actually, like, my stand-up is, like, quite silly. Well, I'm not playing Rafe. It's quite um, about, like, different voices and stuff. I've, like, I'm quite interested in, like, religion and stuff and do some hopefully funny things on that. So, like, it's all very, like, whimsical. And, uh, yeah, I think people just assume that it's like, oh, well, you get up and you satirize something and then you have a satirical (laughs) coffee and then you go, and you know, and you're just like... (laughs) Uh, One of the best quotes, I think, from Chris Morris is about, he's like, it's all about finding the farce. Where's the farce? And I think when you can see, as both of us can in a lot of instances, Mm -hmm. farce exists, then it's funny to do it. But, But satire and comedy aren't the same thing. And that's a big mistake that Gladwell makes in that podcast. He assumes that all satire is comedic, when actually there's plenty of non, like Banksy is arguably satire, right?
0: yeah one other corollary point and i feel like there's this tendency as well with everything but definitely in comedy to try and find what's the singular reason why this person has done Mm. something so like if you put out a political sketch you'll see yourself online i'm sure you experience it in greater level than i do that people will go oh he's done this because he's part of this agenda right and that's his whole purpose whereas actually 99 times out of 100 the sketch has originated in me walking down the road or going somewhere or driving my daughter to school and thinking oh that's funny always like because otherwise what's the point do you have yeah. that where
1: people sort of um they like to work back from what you're saying to a presumed notion of what you think about an issue <laughs> i often i don't always necessarily agree with stuff i'm mocking like and sometimes i think debates are more complicated than that but i also recognize it's funny to not give something a fair hearing right but i think you know you can get you can people be like oh oh this is amazing he agrees with me on this this and this and it's yeah, oh, no, I'm just trying to be funny. I, th- I think this is the issue, isn't it? We we try to when something is good, it has such an emotional, re- it creates an emotional reaction with, within us that we want to make it something bigger and better and, and something that it just isn't, which is, of course, is understandable. Like that's that's what art does if it's done well, I guess.
0: On that as well, I mean, think, think there's Stuart Lee says something about like not really getting too high by the compliments and not getting too low by the mm the endless criticism that he gets. But do you yeah, get yeah. for choosing your type of comedy, do you get a lot of hassle online and very interested in um, all that?
1: Well, so I mean the 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 rave stuff, no. Well so <laughs> a, a recurring theme seems to be that people think I've stolen Bob Mortimer's train guy, which I find incredibly irritating. <laughs> all right. <laughs> what well, least I did Rafe before Bob Mortimer did train guy on Twitter. So I always get that sort of very smug Older gentlemen on Twitter being like, "Oh, it's Bob Mortimer invoiced you for this," uh, which I find very, but I, but that's that's fine. I'm, you know, that's something. Well, that I think because I've been writing a book as Rafe and doing this up show, I haven't been doing as much with Rafe online. But I think, like in the real heyday of it on Twitter in particular, I felt as though it was such a sort of unified agreement that we all shared that the government were lazy and doing a bad job in the early days of the pandemic the problem now is that there are a variety of things they've done very well i would say especially when you look at other countries and you know australia and all that there has been some good stuff so it's a little bit harder to do because you have less unified opinion but in terms of hatred i mean i'm sure you have the same experience twitter being quite a sort of aggressive forum for quite aggressively left-wing ideas because Rafe is an aggressive parody of the right, that seems to be fine. I mean, I've done stuff where I've parodied the left and um, and that has gone not well um, because- Yes.
0: <laughs> Why is that? Why is that, do well, you I think? I think in the
1: specific instance, you know, my huge Sessions character is, is his take of, well, I mean, like drug culture, obviously, and like vice and all that stuff, but simultaneously, like the concept of, a, of revolution, which is very popular at the moment, I think. And I- Yeah. I would consider myself to be critiquing that from a left-wing perspective. Because all the arguments, they're not my arguments, they're just arguments from like George Orwell, who was a very famous socialist. (laughs) I'm not like creating anything new, I'm just saying like, have you thought about what happens after the revolution? (laughs) <laughs> Do you not have maybe a bit of a problem with an authoritarian? Like, who gets to be the arbiter for what happens and all of that? But I think the the super hard left they're not receptive to that idea because they think the idea of a revolution is perfect. And and if you stand in the way of that, which isn't conservative, really, you you seem to be propping up the establishment and and all of that, which is absolutely not my behavior. But it, but it goes back to what we're talking about, right? Like this um this idea of people want to ascribe your opinions and your views to something that you're doing just to generate laughter.
0: Exactly. And being aware, I think, as well as something I find is like you've enjoyed this sketch, but I'm afraid I'm not your guy. Like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to be your guy. No.
1: Well, that, that's it. But this is my, like, you know, I... um. Well, firstly, to to quote Dominic Cummings, I'll paraphrase him anyway, he gives a very interesting speech where he talks about the political spectrum and how it's obviously Mr. Anti-Conventional Wisdom. But he talks about how like the whole political wheel is an unhelpful concept, because if you actually poll people, then they come out as way more left wing and way more right wing in general. So like people will be, for example, very hard on immigration, but also very pro high income tax like the average man in the street, according to Dominic Cummings. And given that, like the idea of like being sort of completely left and nailing your colours to the moth I mean, that's not what I subscribe to. I mean, I guess I would say I'm, a, yeah, I'm centre left. But <laughs> I think to be a comedian, you have to fall within a, within a parameter, right? You can't be as far left as maybe some of the people that like Rafe. I, sometimes my concern is, it's like, oh, well, that, you're, you like him because I'm throwing out some fairly socialist ideas, because I agree with a lot of them. But yeah, you're, you're right. It's like, I'm not your guy. I'm not. That's not. I'm just trying to mock something, you know?
0: Yeah. <laughs> I'm just actually trying to mock something over here. Oh, like, right. you just let me at it.
1: <laughs> to, you, how do you find it? Because... When I um got sort of, I took it quite badly. I think I, now I would take it differently. I would be a, a bit more resilient, but I remember it sort of quite got to me and I took a fair amount of time off Twitter for that reason. Wow. I mean, how, you know, your videos are very successful. You must find that there's lots of stuff in it. And how do you deal with that? How does that affect you?
0: I mean, I'm a little bit older than you as well. And I was in a sketch group for a long time where we were doing stuff that was a little bit more down the middle. Mm. And then what I had the odd political character that we get a lot of hassle. And there's a part, like being honest with you, there's a part of it, part of me like, like, Mm. So Mm. I like when people are giving me vitriol, especially if like you said, if I've done the research to know that a lot of stuff coming back is bullshit so I can handle it. Having said all that, there comes a time when somebody's calling you like a Marxist terrorist supporting scumbag, maybe the 10th time in the day, you do feel like, well, why am I feeling kind of gloomy? So I'm certainly not impervious to the thing at all.
1: Twitter does this really weird thing where it just decides that it will burn someone at the stake because a set number of people disagree with the way that someone's phrased something. But actually, if you sat that person down and looked in the whites of their eyes, you'd be like, maybe they're not coming at this from a completely ridiculous perspective. Do you, do you know what I mean? It, yeah. It just, it seems like, yeah, there's, there's a lot of vitriol and, 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 but you're right, mate. Yeah, I think it is. I think it is that. It's like, can you get in, build an audience, like obviously you're doing and, and get a lot of success and get your name out there. And then, and then you can just get people to come to your stuff in the real world. And then hopefully you can maintain that audience from there. That's what I'm trying
0: to do anyway. I think so. Because I realized recently there when I was like occasionally arguing with somebody underneath the sketch I'd done. And I kind of thought to myself, like, what you're actually effectively doing here is arguing that what you've put up is funny. Like you'd never argue a joke in real life. Like if somebody didn't enjoy the joke, you'd have to just accept it and get on with your day. Like
1: You know what the weirdest thing as well though is, it's like, you'll know this from like performing as well, like tell a joke in a club or a theater or whatever. It's so different from Twitter because you can be scared of telling a joke on Twitter, but like there's so much more freedom I think that you get when you're, when you're in a live setting because it's like a sort of emotional connection with an audience and you sense that as the comic, don't you? You're like, okay, well I can push this or they're a little bit sensitive about this, I'm not going to do this. Whereas the, the, I guess the problem with Twitter is you don't have that intuitive emotional sense. And anyone with any sort of specific set of opinions can pick something up and then suddenly, yeah. you know, everyone else just piles in. on you. I mean, maybe that goes with the territory. Maybe we're being over... Well, I mean, I'm being a bit more sensitive than you, but, you know, maybe I'm being yet too sensitive in being like, oh, that's people's free speech. And I respect that. And it's very important that they're able to express their opinions. And maybe that's just the price you pay for the amazing narcissistic joy of people <laughs> listening to your opinions.
0: Yeah,
1: uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't
0: know. Yeah, look, I mean, I could, I'd could. i actually just love to talk to you about comedy, but I've got this bloody Brexit podcast hanging <laughs> over my head. So I'll <laughs> ask you a couple of Brexit-related questions, if you don't mind. Yeah. Well, they're not specifically Brexit. It's more kind of Tory-related or whatever. But um, Sure, sure. I think Rafe is such a successful character because it c- captures like clues in the name, it captures the hubris of the Tory privately educated political elite. Because I feel like you've really nailed the fact that like he's cocky, he's entitled. It's really hard to see where the discernible talents and abilities are. In your opinion, is it the lack of ability in its political leaders that has Britain in the seeming kind of shit show that it's in right now?
1: Well, you know, I think the interesting thing about this is that I don't look at Boris Johnson and think he lacks ability. I actually don't even think that about Rafe. I think Rafe and Boris Johnson, and indeed all of the people that have come from Oxford, I would argue, I think that type of institution, it produces the type of person who is very good at bluffing, because they're bright, they also have within them this sort of sense that they're so much cleverer than other people that they don't need to work at things. I think it's more entitlement that's the issue rather than talent, because Rafe is obviously like intelligent in the same way that Boris, you know, like when Boris Johnson talks about Greek society and stuff, like he's he's, he's, he's genuinely like an academic. I mean, he's, he's really scintillatingly Clever. I think his issue is the sort of um, the lack of moral duty, I would argue that I think is, you know, the, yeah, those institutions just teach you, Well, just be really confident and just back something. And that's fine. And that means you're better than, than other people, which I think is something that is really we heap all this praise on Oxbridge. And we have this real veneration of it as as an institution. And obviously it is good in a variety of different ways. But I think the system does also produce a sort of bullish intellectual arrogance that isn't the mark of credibility. I think that's it. It's a weird one because obviously Brexit is a, a steaming pile of shit. but. Yeah, I mean, I, this, some of the stuff with the vaccine has been has been reasonably good, but I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that that's down to Boris Johnson, but the furlough scheme was pretty good. So I, th- I think it depends. I think it depends on the level of sort of, I, I just think, uh, Frankie Ball says interesting stuff on this. Like, I think it just creates a specific type of human being, that type of institution. And I think the virtues and characteristics seem to be reasonably uniform. And I think we would do well among our politicians to get people who maybe weren't as much like that.
0: Right. So like what I'm getting from you, which is interesting, because I've spoken to an Irish journalist who's been in Brussels the whole way through it, and he's kind of making the point that the EU were just better prepared. So he he made no comment on British politicians not having the ability, actually. Yeah, And that's a good point. It's like they didn't have the duty of care to get all the info and look at all the detail, because ironically or strangely, maybe the EU seemed to be better prepped on Northern Ireland than the British government, who actually has jurisdiction over the over the area, you know? That's the consensus in the EU, which actually supports what you're saying.
1: But I think it is that. It's just that total... I actually don't think Boris Johnson would be that bad at being prime minister if he tried or if he <laughs> cared about it. Like, I'm not saying... That's nice. He's certainly not an idiot by any stretch. No. I think his character is really poorly suited you know, he hates conflict as well, by all accounts, right? Like, i I'm, I'm heard he hid in a wardrobe to hide from David Davis, sort of, you know, hid in the fridge as well, all that stuff, right? And I don't think, <laughs> I don't think you've got to make tough decisions. But, you know, he's a populist. He needs to be liked. And, well, I think that's actually necessary to be successful in a, in a democracy where you need votes. Mm-hmm. But I also think, without being too wanky, there's a bit in Plato's Republic where he distinguishes between the type of person that wins an election and the type of person that will be good at leading and our leaders like proper good leaders i don't know like gordon brown you know a lot of a lot of people quite keen on him no charisma but i think i don't think charisma and leadership are the same thing and i think we have this very bizarre obsession with that and and i think it's to the detriment of our politics he
0: seems like a very modern leader to me because it is all charisma like it's a kind of a tabloid friendly but also kind of weirdly a guardian and obviously telegraph friendly guy because it's charisma rather than leadership as you say
1: i I spoke to a politician once about all of this and, and she was saying that you know people vote by smell by which I think, she, you know, you just get that intuitive feeling about someone. And because Boris Johnson is, for all of his many faults, he's very funny. Like, he is a funny man. Totally. And that, and Keir Starmer, I mean, I actually really like Keir Starmer's tool, toolmaker joke at the Labour Party conference. I thought it was, people who haven't heard it, it was like, what was it? It was, my father was a toolmaker, and in a similar sense, so was Boris Johnson. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a good joke, isn't it? A really good joke.
0: You can't deny that's a strong gag, like i'd love to know who
1: workshop that with him i'd tell that on stage i would be very pleased with that <laughs> but he um she's not funny I, I think this is a problem that the left has the left i feel like the right cares about power and the left cares about morality and that's very good but unfortunately power is always going to beat morality in a race for power yeah <laughs> and i think that's what means that the left there's a lot of infighting and it's very difficult to be funny because your constant line has got to be like, well, hang on, there's something moral that we're missing out here, which just inherently isn't funny. Whereas Boris Johnson can just divert the question, which is inherently quite amusing.
0: There's a kind of a sense over here, and I think in Europe, that like England, well, Britain, but like definitely England's just like coming apart at the seams, just like just fucking, you know... Fist fights at petrol stations and stuff like that like as somebody who's right in the middle of it is it good for comedy? and like i know you're saying you're a comedian more than a satirist but like is it good for for material but also is it a scary time to be a brit or is it not as bad as people are saying from the inside what's your perspective
1: well i don't know i live a charmed life i suppose so I, i'm not it's not affecting me <laughs> but, um, uh, it's that's so a great flag like- <laughs> yeah yeah just well you know that's the thing about politics it just doesn't really affect me It's fun. <laughs> yeah i've heard about people like pulling knives on each other at service stations and everything is it good for comedy i mean it might explain why oh yeah i did a show on friday that was sold out and some people didn't show up maybe and that was the reason or maybe it was covid i don't know wow. um you know i think any uh, source of cultural reference point is helpful as a comedian because it gives you something to play off and that's why for me the pandemic has been a gift because it's it's a series of events that we all knew about. Like, we all knew about PPE contracts. We all knew about Boris Johnson missing the Cobra meetings, or even if you didn't, you'd have some sort of awareness. And then Dominic Cummings, you know, we all... So they're all shared experiences that we can make jokes about. And I, I often feel like, as a comedian, it's the difficult thing is finding something that we all have gone through. So that you're saying something meaningful to an audience rather than, and, and also not falling within the unoriginal an territory and being like, oh, you know, what's the deal with shopping bags? You know, all that. Yeah. And that, that, I mean, that's the good thing about the pandemic because it's so recent, a lot of the jokes haven't been made. For the, the stand up show I do, it is Rafe telling the story of 2020 um, ahead of the inquiry to make sure that, well, in his words, that the right chaps on the right side of politics don't get treated wrongly. Mm-hmm. nice yeah and i think any cultural reference point is helpful so yeah i'll throw in a few lines about petrol but i think it always feels like we're nearing the end doesn't it if you read the papers it always feels like and then you're like oh okay things are sort of carried on for a bit so
0: does it feel like you're getting cut off though like is there that sense amongst i mean you're kind of saying you're kind of center left which would be a perfect position to be kind of maybe feeling worried that Britain is becoming more insular post-Brexit and it's a government that seems to be kind of like pulling up the drawbridge kind of.
1: Yeah, that is a worry. And there's also this tide of nationalism that seems to be kind of pushed out from the top down, like all the strong Britain, great nation stuff, that diabolical song the government made. It's a very difficult one, nationalism, because it's very hard to know what you mean, because obviously if you mean white by nationalism, that's a real massive problem. You know, I I just feel like a big sporting event is always helpful for this. Like I feel like the Olympics was such a good like illustration of like multiculturalism and an acceptance and the wonderful varied things that make London great as a city and and the UK great. But then I suppose, you know, when Emma Raducanu won the US Open, it felt like that, you know, that was great to see like an immigrant mm. doing that. And it made me feel so proud to be, at the risk of sounding like Matt Hancock, it made me feel very proud to be British. (laughs) I don't know, I I, I think it's sort of... um... I think it depends. I feel like there are so many different cultural movements and voices going on at the moment. It's hard to sort of distill that and say, well, we're, we're kind of diverting. I feel like it's a real, there's lots of stuff. There's definitely a nationalist group and a, an idea, but there's also a very sort of aggressive, quite hard left pushback in the other direction in, in a lot of industries as well. I don't know whether I necessarily feel concerned, concerned about it, but I also think the age thing is different. You know, I'm 25, so I'm from that sort of age group where like for example like trans people and being gay and all that it's just so accepted it's so sort of normal in a way that i would argue it hasn't been historically so i I, I feel in a bit of a weird position on that one because yes there's a sort of tide of nationalism but among the people that i associate with i don't know it it all feels quite
0: liberal i know what you mean yeah maybe i'm
1: just around liberal elite wankers
0: like myself (laughs) No, but I mean, like you, the most formative years, your 20s was the ongoing period of Brexit as well. So you've kind of known nothing else as, a, as an adult and like yeah. the pandemic is like two years, Brexit's like five years. I mean, this is kind of your adult life really. So it's all totally normal to you. <laughs>
1: like, yeah, because, you know, everyone talks about the, the coarsening of politics as a result of Dominic Cummings and as a result of his Brexit campaigning and all that stuff. But I, I yeah, I guess that like for the time I've been politically aware, it's always been coarse. Mm. But I enjoy that. I enjoy, I think it gives you as the comic... You know, you're allowed to give them a bit of an unfair trial and go for them. You know, like when Stuart Lee's got that amazing joke in content provider about <laughs> about uh, how David Cameron to do to outdo his friends, put his penis into a pig's mouth, and then oh, yeah. to do something even worse and more disgusting than him, Michael Gove put his penis into a Daily Mail journalist, which is just <laughs> just an excellent joke. You, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. But but it's that thing of like. Um, You're allowed to go there because politics has become coarse. It's become pantomime. And I think that's really good because when we had Miliband and Cameron, it was so much more kind of diluted and difficult to sort of, because, you you know, you could slag off David Cameron and quite a lot of people, not that I was doing comedy at this point, but I think quite a lot of people would be like, oh, we quite like David Cameron. Why are you saying that? Because he appeals, whereas you can, I can slag off Boris Johnson now. And the kind of everyone's like, Mm. yeah, we all think he's shit. We agree. Yeah so that, so that's really good because we i think we feel a bit more kind of cohesively similar about our politicians than maybe we did um, a few years ago boom, boom,
0: I mean, this is just a, a loaded question and just love your perspective on it because I'm asking like politicians and journalists and stuff. So I'd love to hear from a comics point of view, like, do you think Britain has come to terms with its colonial past? And if they knew more about it or do people care to know more about it, would they have this like what seems to us in Ireland or in Europe is this kind of mental nostalgia for it? Like it's one <laughs> it's one thing that had happened, but the fact that there's this like real and I know you're talking about like the, the left becoming stronger and kind of like running around tearing statues down. But how protective, I'd say even some people in the middle and definitely people on the right are, seems mental to us.
1: Oh, well, well, I mean, absolutely. And I mean, you know, to speak specifically about the Edward Colson statue, <laughs> despite having disagreed with earlier, or said like complete revolution, silly. I'm a big advocate for like... Um, You often need radical action to generate change. I think that that, both Michael Gove and Dominic Cummings think that. That's why they hate the civil service and and Whitehall and all that stuff, because they don't think that change happens via increments. And I agree, and I I think sometimes you do have to do things like that, even if it might seem a bit messy, and even if it might seem like, oh, we have gone a bit too far. Actually, I don't think that's a, a bad thing. Edward Colston, to be very clear was people say in the press oh he's a slave trader he was like awful if you read his diary it's horrendous like the, the, um i'm told Stuart lee's doing a bit about that at the moment where he like reads it out and it's 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 horrendous and we have the i, I think there is this completely bizarre rose tinted view of empire that, w- that we have which but at school i you know i wasn't taught about that you're not taught about no. you know you do 1066 Harold Hadrada and all that and Arrow in the Eye, you know, and and then, and and you might have a bit of Egyptians or whatever before that. And then you do the Kings. wow, And then suddenly it's like, oh, World War II, nothing happened between those times, you know. (laughs) yeah, yeah, We're gaslighting our own children educationally. Mm. And I find that really odd. I I mean, yeah, but I think it is an educational thing. Like we read about what actually happened and the backlog of racism. We'd be like, well, that was like, you know it's a mistake right racism is a, it's a it's a mistake based on fallacious reasoning yeah and we'd be like wow look at how dangerous that is but um I don't know it's it, I, I find it bizarre mm. yeah that that's one thing that gives me issues with like jingoism and nationalism like there are plenty of things i, I feel very proud to be british for like the NHS and the bbc and like Olympic athlete. I think athletes very often like make me feel proud to be British. For me it's a it's it's a bizarre thing it needs to be part of the syllabus more. It's a very odd yeah, it's a very odd perspective and even when I I did history A level I remember doing bits on it then and even then there's still a sort of like balance like oh well yeah, you know uh, the slavery, but at the same time, you know, the railways. Uh, so
0: <laughs> the, ra- the railways is always a good one. I, I love that one. Indian academics that I read, like, and they, you know, they make the point, like, oh, fair play, like, you know, you brought the railways, but that was to transport the shit that you were stealing out of our country, <laughs> like, you know. Thanks for leaving it when you left. Like, that, that was nice of you, like, to leave the trains. But no, it's its really interesting listening to you, though, because to get back to this kind of black and white thing that you get online, like, because I'd be from, like, an Irish Republican background and there's, like, a sense in on some of the harder elements of Irish Republicanism, not all at all, because that's an evolving thing as well. But there's a sense of, like, Britain being kind of like, or Brits being slightly morally inferior, like that they're just, they're going around wrecking stuff and they don't give a shit and that their they're new generation don't care. But of course the thing is, and I've always felt, and a lot of people with far more knowledge in this have felt, and you've just said, it's because you're not learning about it. Like, so if you're not learning about it, why would you give a shit about it? Like, you know, you don't know it.
1: And then you get people like Lawrence Fox who are promoting this deliberately anti-intellectual, but also just completely incorrect, right? Like I think... That's my main issue, like on Question Time when he was talking about colonial history. It just comes from an incorrect view of the, and you know, some of the points that he makes aren't, they're not incorrect. They're like opinions that, and you know, he clearly taps into something. That's the frustration. It's just a load of people being like, nah, that didn't happen. What are you talking about, you idiot? And you're like, no, no, it did. The educational system is complicit in that totally created ignorance. I find it really really strange. But again, I think I look at my generation and I feel like we all feel kind of similarly about that one because I I feel like education about colonialism, certainly when I was at university, it seemed to be a bit more common. Like I feel like most people would be fairly anti the empire. Do you know what I mean? Like you definitely sit within a majority if you were like, oh yeah, I feel shame for that.
0: But it's interesting that you say that your generation though, like that. So the next generation you would feel would probably be would relinquish some of those, what we feel to be just kind of bizarre attachments to an unexamined history. Colonialism was kind of grand, like we were just kind of, you know, educating, civilizing them and kind of bringing them a bit of culture. But it feels like the next generation won't kind of accept that anymore. It's just such a pity then. I mean, this is making too neat a point. But I feel like if the previous generation understood their colonial history, could you argue they may not have voted for Brexit at all? Because there was that kind of anti-immigration kind of thing that really gave the heave hole towards the end from Farage and Co. Wasn't there, do you think?
1: It's a fascinating one though but I, I I don't know I I worry that maybe that undermines the or underestimates the like um sophistication of like the algorithmic clamp put in place to manipulate people's sort of worst prejudices if there hadn't been a big anti-immigration tide I imagine using the th- this is what Dominic Cummings did wasn't it he used like very clever like algorithm and and stuff to you know manipulate people's social media ads I think there would have been another prejudice that the Brexit campaign cleverly exploited. But yeah, I mean, I, I certainly think there's a link. I certainly agree that like, yeah, there, there's a sort of weird... I just find it so alien as a concept because it's just so patently dumb, right? <laughs> like the idea that... But then I guess I, I guess if you haven't grown up, I've, I've been lucky to sort of grow up and be around like people from different cultures. And as soon as you do that, you're just like, well, the, obviously... You know what? what <laughs> one guy, one of my favourite comics, um, Brennan. What's his name? Neil Neil Brennan. Neil Brennan. Oh yeah. Have you seen his show? The three mics. It's really. Oh, no. you should watch it. It's amazing. He has three different mics. One mic he does one liners. One mic he does stand up, and uh, the other mic he does hard hitting emotional stuff. <laughs> right. and he's an Amazing former speaker. He he did a lot of work with Chappelle. They used to write the Chappelle show together. And but he uh, he talks about <laughs> the way out of racism is. He's like, you have to fuck your way out of racism. Everyone needs, just fall in love with, but I think there's so much truth to that. Like, if you have mates from different cultures, you want to learn about their lived experience. Of course. It's like like the root out of misogyny is to fall in love with a woman, I would argue. Do you know what I mean? Like, because you care about that person. And you're like, OK, I, I I understand your plight and you want to learn. I guess that's why London, you would hope and think probably a bit less racism in the more multicultural areas. But then sort of across the UK, maybe, maybe a, bit, a bit more. But I don't know. It's a very complicated issue.
0: No, that's great. I mean, love is the answer. Like that's like, I mean, it's. It's a cliche, but it's absolutely true. And that's why Twitter is a hotbed of aimless hatred because nobody's <laughs> met anybody and has any discernible feelings good of a positive nature for anyone.
1: But do you find, I think the thing people also love to do on Twitter is that sort of like, ha ha ha, gotcha, type thing. Do you, I'm sure you must find this as a successful comedian. People have a perception of you and then they will play off that perception of you as if that's a certain thing and it isn't just something that their mind has created. Mm. And then try and point out areas where you are being contradictory relative to that sense of you or your brand or whatever. do do you know what i mean
0: totally totally and i like what's amusing to me now i'm getting to the point where i'm finding it quite funny and i'm sure you've experienced this is like no matter what i put up now you're getting some shit so Mm, (laughs) so even when i try to play play to one side which i which i don't deliberately do but it would appear that way in terms of that paradigm of like he's our guy why is he doing this today i've put out a sketch that has a a td like a a, what would you call it Um, an mp your version of an mp from the exact opposite party that i would support and i've done a sketch of them today so i've gone now from you know i get shit because i'm over too far this side no i've gone to this side and that's amusing to me because i haven't changed at all again i've just been looking for things that i think are funny
1: but you have to be able to mock things if we're speaking like purely about mockery even or, or yeah just comedy like you just have to be able to do what's funny or from a mockery perspective you just have to be able to do what is ludicrous Right yeah and both parties and both sides and both all different kinds of politicians have ludicrous ideas at some point and and you have to be allowed to to mock them like, because then you're not telling the truth right like I think the, the point is if you've got to think that like you're saying something accurate and insightful and if you're just on one side then you're not telling the truth anymore you're just and that can be very entertaining you know yeah Stuart Lee being the perfect example, I love it how he doesn't give the right wing a fair hearing but it's um <laughs> you know, it's hilarious because he you know and, and and he himself would talk about you know that being an unreliable narrator and all that stuff yeah and it's brilliant but at the same time like that's why i love sasha baron cohen so much because he's taking the piss out of people who deserve the piss taken out of them yeah not because of where they politically
0: lie or whatever like that liberal that liberal character trying oh, to bring wow. people together <laughs> it's just insane but like i have to say like what i really love about your stuff is that you're deliberately doing that as well like i've detected as many lampoons or piss takes of what you would call lefties, some version of lefties, as you would centrist or hard right. And I think that's great. But as we were saying at the start, I think it's very, and I don't have an answer for this, but I think it's interesting the way that when you're hammering the left, your numbers seem to drop dramatically, which I, which has been my experience as well. So maybe Twitter is more of an echo chamber for some version of leftism. Presumably, it is. I suppose.
1: You know what the weird thing is? Like in in different contexts, like I've spoken about the left, like on stage, and you still feel like it get is getting laughed in a way that on Twitter, if I was like, you know, it's just it's very really, like throwaway joke, a throwaway comment. But i was talking about how the left the left takes criticism like teenagers, right? Like they're literally like Kevin and Perry being like, oh, what? what, I can't believe you so said that. Cancel forever. You <laughs> yeah. know. Like if you do that on Twitter, you're gonna get a lot of shit. Whereas in a comedy club or theatre or like people, they're like, yeah, that is that we we think that. And I think that's the weird thing. that like you get into the real world, and I've never had a conversation with someone where I've seen any view anywhere near as extreme as the sort you get on Twitter. Like they seem <laughs> yeah. to they're so much more reasonable yeah. because you can engage them properly. And there's no one, you know, when it's just you and someone else. There's not like five or six other people who are like clubbing in. You know. Get him. Yeah, yeah, forget him, fuck this guy. Imagine that. That would be a weird addition to a wedding. You're having a conversation. So, you know, just, but it's, yeah, I I, I think you've got to though. You've got to, and that's very kind of you to say that that was a conscious decision having just been such an enormous fan of Sasha's and particularly Who Is America, actually. And I think that got so little praise for how good it was. Mm. The reviews were, were shit for that because it was, it was brilliant. And yeah, the doctor. The, the, <laughs> incredible. The doctor. What is it? Came to cello Liberal parody. There's just something so satisfying as well. I'm sure you think this. I feel like this is what like where character comedy is good. There's something so satisfying when you see yourself in it, and it makes you cringe. Like, Absolutely. That is me. Like I'm like a, a horribly cringe-worthy, overcorrecting <laughs> white liberal type. Yeah. And. And and I was just like, oh fuck, that's
0: so great. That's exactly <laughs> like like the chanting is one. Of, I think is probably one of my favorite moments in comedy. <laughs> ah! <laughs> the way it, it just goes on that beat or two, like too long each time, as well as just like yeah, so good. But but also like
1: just I love I love how um and I try and use this as a barometer for like other character stuff I do in that show. In the first thirty seconds, he slaps you across the face with who the character is, and you know within maybe the first line, who he's being. And it's so funny. Like, you know, when he's talking about when the election was stolen from President Hillary Clinton. (laughs) and It's just perfect. The thing that I loved about that so much, and it's something that I really like to go into more, like that sort of cringing liberal type, because there's a lot of comedy there. But what I love is that it's so deft. It's such a sort of subtle parody, but it was so on point as well. Because and, And he just gets to the core of what's funny about it. Which is fundamentally someone trying to be something that they're not quite. Which I I think is amazing. It's hilarious. That's the essence of so much of comedy. Someone's doing a bad impression of something, and we're as an audience collectively being like, "Oh yeah, that is that is bad. That is really yeah yeah." I yeah. I mean, I think he's awesome. Yeah. I wasn't a huge fan of Borat too, to be honest, but. I, I
0: thought that was Oh, good. insane. Like, yeah. And just the bravery to take on both sides, I think is like, I think if you're not doing that and it's something I'm like, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to continue talking about myself here because I'm, I'm actually interviewing you, but like, it's something that I need to look at going forward because it is that little bit more challenging, isn't it? I think to just really capture because when you are a kind of a soft lefty yourself, which I am as well, it's that little bit harder to dig deeper and see your own ridiculousness. Like, and that's the challenge, I think. And if you don't meet that challenge, I'm not sure what you are then maybe it's not really satire like if it's just hammering one side all the time.
1: I find that territory really interesting. I find the um the liberal elite really interesting like that whole group of people with who will talk about how much they hate the Tories but still love coke they love cash yeah they love cash (laughs) they're really minted they live in islington i just i find that hysterically funny and i think it's a really good area you know here's the thing like i think most reasonable people can laugh at themselves it's quite a rare subset of people that can't i would say the hard left really struggle to laugh at themselves and also etonians right and that's not true actually across the board because there are some who who are quite good at it interesting but it's like the upper class they struggle to sort of it's that pomposity right to sort of say oh i guess i am laughable in a way whereas i think for you and i not least because a lot of our job is about delving into that and being like yeah i'm embarrassing in this way I quite like it when someone takes the piss out of me because I think it's fair and, and funny. Yeah, you've got, you've got to mock both sides. You've got to go into those those areas. And, and oh, so the one thing I was going to say to you about, about Twitter, I mean, because yeah, Twitter's a pain in the ass, but Instagram is very good for that sort of stuff. They tend to be a little bit more receptive. Yeah, maybe that's a, if, if you want to do more lefty, piss-taking stuff, maybe that's the forum.
0: Interesting. Wow. yeah, I just can't get myself to land on Instagram at all. I feel the Insta huns don't give a fuck about the Benin bronzes. you know. That's been my experience anyway, but.
1: Yeah, it's weird because I feel like with Instagram, you sort of got to play their game in that like, so like I do a lot of like swipe across ones for whatever reason works so much better and actually artistic doesn't work on Twitter, right? But I think you definitely find your audience on there. Like there will be plenty of people who, I want to see the left taking the piss out of because it deserves it the same way the right does, like... It's not going well for the left at the moment particularly in the uk they deserve some criticism and they also and criticism is helpful because it helps you learn you know
0: definitely i mean yeah we you feel labor is a bit of a laughing stock at the moment anyway that's the way it feels over to us i think this is an age-old aspect of human psychology
1: that when we get into that sort of holier-than-thou game see this with like lutherans as far back as the sort of i think 15th 16th century these people you never win you never fight the common enemy You just end up saying, well, actually, I'm better than you because of this, and I'm better than you. And there's no benefit when it just eats itself. And the right, for all of their faults, are incredibly good at working together.
0: That's very true.
1: And the left need pragmatism because more time they spend fighting among each other. And don't get me wrong, the trans issue is an important issue, but they've got to club together and defeat the common enemy. Like in Game of Thrones, when they're like, let's fight the White Walkers together. You know? (laughs) They could have fought Cersei and then the White Walkers would have screwed them over. Sometimes you've got a to club together. That's, that's, that's what I'm trying to say.
0: That's great. Very last question. And again, it's pure speculation, but you don't have a crystal ball, but your experience of England right now and English nationalism, as we've talked about, what's the next 10 years, 20 years going to look like? Pure speculation, but do you feel, for instance, that Scotland will go independent. That we will eventually. England will also independent, and maybe potentially be United Ireland.
1: Well, I think the Scots, with good reason, don't like us. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I mean, I, if I had to bet, I would bet that will happen in the next ten years. Surely, there seems to be enough sentiment in in that way. And although it will be interesting to see if Boris Johnson's no longer in power, that might change things. But I think Boris Johnson for the Scots represents the worst of the UK. And I understand why they would feel that way. And I agree with them. <laughs> um, but I think uh, I think that's interesting. It's, I'm interested to see how people sort of consider the concept of revolution over the next few years. Because obviously it seems to be quite popular again. We're in quite extreme times. There's an issue at the moment, and I think we're seeing this with anti-vaxxers, about you know like the destruction of truth, which arguably is sort of related to Brexit and, and related to Trump and all that social media marketing campaign stuff. And the destruction of truth is going to make things very interesting as far as kind of cohesive society works. Just to talk about what you were saying about division, though. I've, I've, the, the odd thing is, in many respects, I feel very united at the moment. I guess the reason why I found, I found it sort of hard to answer that question is because everything's unlocking right? So, and we're sort of living normal life now. You feel a lot more connected to other people because you're seeing them and stuff and you're going to bars or whatever, you're in the same place as people. If there is a sort of nationalist division that's emerging, it's hard to behold because I think we're all just so... Pleased to be around people again. That I think the politics of sort of hatred and division maybe is slightly less. But then, yeah, I, I I don't know. It's it's going to be interesting to see with the, with the sort of the fallout of COVID whether anti-vaccination is going to continue because we're in a real period of flux on on that one and the issue of vaccine passports and and it seems to be very emotive for a lot of people. But yeah, I I hope it becomes more moderate. That's all I'm going to. Well, actually, do I? Maybe I don't. It's good to tell you. <laughs> Maybe I don't hope it becomes. more. maybe it's good that I just want things to stay the same.
0: <laughs> <laughs> A surprisingly centrist comment, end.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, well, I'm centrist professionally, but but obviously left wing <laughs> personally.
0: That's great, man. Josh, thank you so so much for your time. That's. Uh, thanks. I really enjoyed this. Well, guys, how d- how did you get on? How did you find that? I'm I'm kind of treating you there now like you're gone off on your school tour and I'm your ma'am collecting you at the school gates and, uh-oh, I do not recognise that pants or t-shirt. I hope you enjoyed listening to that interview as much as I enjoyed conducting it. Very, very smart guy, going places, clearly a big Bojo fan. Did you get that sense? I was quite... Listen back to it, I was quite surprised. Like, whoa, this guy is... Very partial to a bit of Bojo, no. But you know what? I love that honesty. I really love that honesty because there's no, you feel there's no consideration with him there, where he's kind of going. Mm. It's probably not very popular now to say that I think Bojo's smart and uh that the Tories have done an okay job. I like that honesty. I like the honesty as well, where he kind of goes, "Yeah, I, I hear that England is a bit of a kind of divisive shit show at the moment." But as he jokes, I kind of live a charmed life, and actually, me and my friends we have kind of pretty progressive liberal views anyway that's just natural and normal to me i don't notice any fracturing i just love that just be yeah just be honest be honest guys like i kind of for what it's worth really like just in case boris johnson is listening to this podcast you know i'm gonna go a bit balls out here now and say that i kind of slightly disagree with uh josh there insofar as i feel that that bojo is is he's esoteric he engages in sophistry i think and that can sometimes be mistaken for actual practical useful intelligence i think in my opinion he has traditionally done well he kind of whips out a bit of broken greek i would say he's reasonably well read don't get me wrong but i think he's done a really good impression of a usefully smart person for a long time and you can feel certainly as an irish person looking at the english media at the moment you get a sense that the kind of the bluster and that that kind of charm and the quotations and whatnot well first of all they've, they've actually as time has gone on he's gone from kind of quoting Homer to kind of quoting Peppa Pig So he himself is kind of losing faith in his own rubbish. I also think the public's appreciation of him or tendency to like him or to like that kind of caricature thing that he created for himself has really drastically diminished. And I think that's even actually starting to bear out in the polls. But anyway, I totally digress. I'm just going to finish up by saying that you should check out josh bar josh barry sorry guys one of my very good friends in london is called john barry so you should actually check out john barry as well he doesn't have a website at the moment but i think after this podcast he probably will get on one josh dot The guy is touring all the time. I'm actually trying to get him. I'm trying to, I'm a promoter now. Like I've suggested to him coming over to Ireland. I know he's already got a very uh, sizable following here, but he's touring all over the UK. He's got a new book out. He is only going to go one way and that's further towards the tip top. Check him out. Join me next time. And that could just be just clicking on the, the thing underneath the thing you've just clicked on for another episode you might have noticed that I, I've, I've done I've basically done Britain now I've conquered Britain right and the Romans we've done Scotland Wales England and Northumbria now right and in the next episode it's time to head off home I'm coming to Ireland baby tune in that time bet you wish you were here